Welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The Daily Show, Rachel Maddow, The Colbert Report, The Young Turks, The Onion Radio News, and Countdown with Keith Olbermann. But unfortunately, we begin tonight with some astonishing news. Osama bin Laden has issued a new audio tape praising the failed Christmas Day airline bombing and warning uh, more attacks to come to the United States. Oh my God, Osama bin Laden has... <laughs> Look, palindrome, what? <laughs> the, uh, the Christmas underwear... Oh my... Christmas. Everybody at home just turned to each other and went. Oh, Bin Laden comments on the Christmas underwear bomber now? That was like a month ago. It was like, you should change your name to Osama Bin Procrastinating. Well, uh, I've been meaning to comment. Idol just started. It's, it's, it's Simon's last season. I mean... Talk about evil. I mean, the things that he says to people, but he knows his business. All right. Osama, I get the sense you're not even that into this thing anymore, are you? It started out as your global jihad against Western oppression and imperialism has deteriorated into troubled teens jamming some C4 under their nads. You know what, dude? Let's just end this thing. I challenge you to a fist Fight. Meet me tomorrow at the bike racks at my old middle school. Three o'clock. Excuse me one second. FBI. Go to my middle school at two o'clock tomorrow. Bring a van and the tall people handcuffs. Tepid message, long delay, praising a failed attack. Why even bother making the tape? And if you could somehow phrase your answer in the form of an anti-Obama talking point. I think he wanted to put a, a lot of pressure on President Obama uh, for putting this man into the criminal justice system rather than giving him to the military. He gave Mutalab the imprimatur of al-Qaeda. Mm -hmm. Clearly, he was a combatant, not a, not a criminal. Yes, Teen Wolf's dad is right. <laughs> You... Why'd I do interviews in a full moon? Why? <laughs> yes, when it comes to prosecuting the war on terror, Fox News agrees with Osama bin Laden. <laughs> Are bin Laden and Fox News right? How wise is it to try terrorists in civilian courts? Wyatt Cenac has the story. George Bush vowed that we're going to find the terrorists and bring them to justice. But he couldn't have dreamed it would turn out like this. After eight years of delay, those allegedly responsible for the attacks of September the 11th will finally face justice. They will be brought to New York. To New York. To New York. New York. That's right. After all this city's been through, it now has to suffer the trial of Khalid Sheikh Mohammed. Obviously, the Obama administration hasn't considered the consequences. 
you're not going to want to be in, in New York City when that trial's going on. Subways and streets will be closed. I don't even want to be anywhere near downtown <laughs> when it starts. The N train is already a mess, and now this? Incredibly, former federal prosecutor David Kelly, who convicted infamous terrorists Ramzi Youssef, the USS Cole Bombers, and Martha Stewart, thinks we should try KSM here. You've had some of the biggest trials in the history of this country in federal court in Manhattan. There has been no circus. There has been no traffic tie-ups. And I think that that will be the case here. But what about what the criminal proceeding is going to do to my day? That's probably a small price to pay for the, for the cost of justice. So you're saying there are no rights for the mildly inconvenienced? No. That's a lesson the people of Alexandria, Virginia learned the hard way during the trial of would-be 9-11 hijacker Zacharias Massawi in 2006. Kay Tyler has a business just across the street from where Massawi was held. Her city would never be the same. They closed down the roads just a little bit to transport them. It really just wasn't a big deal. Did you ever see Musawi? Yes. We saw him loading him up one day to take him over to the courthouse. She took us back to that harrowing day that she relives over and over again. The jail is right out our door right here, and this is where we saw him. I'm coming for you, Tyler Printing! Ah! Ah! And now they want to put Masawi's boss, KSM, on trial in New York? That can only mean one thing. I think that Al-Qaeda and radical jihadists, if they could ta attack us again in New York, they would. That's right. New York City will now become a terrorist target. Khalid Sheikh Mohammed is released into the streets of America, walks over and uh, steps up into a U.S. embassy and applies for asylum. And Khalid Sheikh Mohammed is on a path to citizenship. Thankfully, New Yorkers have gotten this chilling message and recently held a rally to express their views. This trial has the potential to put New Yorkers at, at grave risk. This is what the terrorists want. What KSM and his cronies did was a wanton act of war. A wanton act of war, never forget that. <coughs> a 9-11... A 9-11... Why didn't they give him a platform in federal court and giving him habeas corpus rights? I don't know. Why are they? Because there's something wrong here. Why do we need trials? I mean, people are just going to get mad. Is it really worth it? Yes. I think the people who are getting mad are ill-informed. Look, I'm not a big city country lawyer. I'm just a guy who rented a courtroom for a day. How can you assure me that we are going to be safe? There have been 195 or more terrorists tried in federal courts in this country uh, without any disaster. Khalid Sheikh Mohammed is going to be in a courtroom similar to this one, yes? Correct. Can I ask you, what is that over your left shoulder? That's a light switch. So theoretically, he could reach that light switch. Theoretically, he could reach the light switch. If it pleases the court, I'd like you to flip those switches. What's to stop him from climbing out the window? Everybody just lets him, because it's dark. I guess that's a scenario that um, <clears throat> the security personnel should, if they haven't already, consider. Have you taken your pants off? No. Neither have I. 
With the KSM trial set for some time in the next two years, we can only hope more rational voices are heard. It's going to expose it to more threats from these radicals. These uh, terrorists. You think it's going to become a media circus? It's possible, yes, very possible. Why are we both yelling? I don't know, because I, I, he's, he's pretty loud up there. Oh, okay, all right, because we both have microphones. Plus, I don't, I'm half deaf here. Oh, okay. And I can't wear my hearing aid in the rain. Okay. thought they had a winning political issue in the attempted Christmas Day bombing. But their efforts to politicize the incident seem now to be blowing up in their faces. Or underpants. It's just not working out. Sorry. Less than one hour. That's right. Less than one hour. In fact, just 50 minutes. That's the amount of time that the FBI spent questioning Abdul Matalab, the foreign terrorist who tried to blow up a plane on Christmas Day. Once afforded the protection our Constitution guarantees American citizens, this foreign terrorist lawyered up and stopped talking. Yeah, you know, that's just totally wrong. That was Republican Senator Susan Collins of Maine, top Republican on the Homeland Security Committee, delivering the Republican Party's weekly address on Saturday. And she's really, really factually wrong a lot just in that clip. For starters, the right to have a lawyer does not just apply to American citizens. It applies to anyone being tried in America. That's why we call it the American criminal justice system. Even immigrants get lawyers. Even illegal immigrants get lawyers if they're tried in America. Also, even if the alleged Christmas Day bomber were being held as an enemy combatant under the rules of war, like Senator Collins says he should be, he would still be entitled to a lawyer. Also, the would-be bomber apparently has been talking to authorities, even with his Miranda rights having been read to him. So, wrong, 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 and wrong again. Want to give it another shot, Senator Collins? When the Obama administration decided to treat Abdulmutallab as an ordinary criminal, it did so without the input of our nation's top intelligence officials. The director of national intelligence was not consulted. The secretary of defense was not consulted. The secretary of homeland security was not consulted. The director of the national counterterrorism Center was not consulted. They would have explained the importance of gathering all possible intelligence about Yemen, where there is a serious threat from terrorists whose sites are trained on this nation. I, I hate to hammer this home here, but uh, wrong, 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 and wrong, wrong. Um, actually, NBC's Andrea Mitchell hosted Senator Collins on her show today, so we're just going to let Andrea take care of the fact check on this one. 
What the White House would tell you and what they've been briefing reporters on, and we know there was a briefing last night, is that, first of all, there was a national security meeting which involved all the principals. All of them signed off on the decision to proceed in a non-military way. Secondly, they say the Nigerian family would not have cooperated if this had not been done the way it was done. Thirdly, they point out, you know, even ignoring all of the precedents under the Bush administration where they did proceed in the same exact fashion, the fact is that he would have been accorded an attorney because he was arrested in the United States. So even if they had proceeded under military procedures, he would have had a lawyer who would have been telling him, if not the Miranda rights, not to talk. Well, they first don't of all, have you, a point there. You've asked me about six different questions in repeating the allegations that the White House has made. Look, the military detainee and trial system provides much more flexibility and would have allowed him to be questioned without a lawyer telling him what to reveal and what to conceal. Wrong. Wrong. Andrea Mitchell just said that was wrong. Just ignoring all the evidence of your complete and total wrongness does not make you less wrong. <laughs> but Senator Collins, uh, for all of her astounding wrongness on this issue, um, is not the only Republican tripping and falling into the wrong in this political battle over the attempted Christmas Day bombing. Here, for example, is South Carolina's Lindsey Graham, along with Fox News's Greta Van Susteren. And the two of them, I will warn you in advance, here are just plain making things up. Well, the interesting thing is my prior life as a criminal defense lawyer, so and, and, and so yeah. my look at this, either he got himself a, a deal yeah, right up front, a good deal, or he's got a lousy lawyer. And well, I understand his lawyer's good, so he must have gotten some deal. Yeah, I used to be a military lawyer, a defense lawyer. I used to be a defense lawyer in the civilian world. Yeah, I wouldn't let my guy talk until I knew it was to his benefit. Wrong? Wrong. Uh, White House Press Secretary Robert Gibbs responded to this particular reckless speculation in a statement today, saying in part, quote, Abdul Muttalib has not been offered anything. The Department of Justice will take his cooperation into consideration. In other words, there is no deal, but thanks for playing, Senator Graham. Then there's Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. The administration still appears more interested in managing its message than explaining to the American people and to lawmakers on both sides of the aisle why an al-Qaeda-trained terrorist fresh from Yemen and caught in the act of attempting to blow up an airliner was handed over to a lawyer after a 50-minute interview. Amazing. Wrong again. Uh, as a matter of fact, just today, the Attorney General released a letter he wrote to Mitch McConnell explaining in painstaking detail the hows and whys of the administration's case against Mr. Abdul Muttalib. Here's an excerpt that specifically addresses Senator McConnell's wrongness. Quote, since the September 11, 2001 attacks, the practice of the U.S. government, followed by prior and current administrations without a single exception, has been to arrest and detain under federal criminal law all terrorist suspects who are apprehended inside the U.S. The prior administration adopted policies expressly endorsing this approach. In keeping with this policy, the Bush administration used the criminal justice system to convict more than 300 individuals on terrorism-related charges. In other words, wrong. Senator McConnell, not only was the statement you made wrong, but the premise behind it was also wrong. 
course, Republicans making claims like this to try to score political points on the Abdul Muttalib case is nothing new. They have been doing that ever since Michigan Congressman Pete Hoekstra, the human sieve, sent out a fundraising letter three days after the attempted attack trying to raise money off of the attempted murder of Americans. What is new is the administration finally releasing information about the case to rebut these now long-standing and utterly wrong political charges. What took them so long? November, the administration announced their plan to hold a public civilian trial in New York City for terrorist mastermind and human shag carpet Khalid Sheikh Mohammed. But that has led Mayor Bloomberg and a lot of New Yorkers to say, hey, not in my backyard. Quickly followed by, hey, when did we get a backyard? So, should terrorist trials be held in civilian courts or military tribunals? A question this sensitive can be debated only by someone with the highest national security clearance. Me, Stephen Colbert. This is Formidable Opponent. Thank you for joining me, Stephen. Anything for you. You're too kind. No, you're too kind. What? You want to bring Khalid Sheikh Mohammed to New York put him up at the Waldorf and get him tickets to the Lion King. No, I don't. Though I wouldn't mind making him sit through Mamma Mia. High five! Steven, this is serious. I'm sorry. If we hold the trial of the guy that attacked us in the city that got attacked, they might attack us. That's why we should hold a military tribunal in the basement of Gitmo right next to the aquatic center. You mean the waterboarding room? No. But a civilian trial will send a message to the whole world that fear cannot trump our ideals of justice. Such as, well, all men are innocent until proven guilty. Oh, so you think he could be found innocent? No, we're gonna fry him like a battered shrimp. So. You want to give him a fair, public trial, but also guarantee he'll be found guilty. Yes. And this will prove to the world what? Yes. All right. Let's say you get called to the jury. Oh, I can't serve. Uh, I have a show that day. I love the police, and I'm scared of hummus. You get picked anyway. Okay. Remember, it has to be beyond a reasonable doubt. Understand? Guilty! Not yet. What do you know about Khalid Sheikh Mohammed? He planned 9-11. Ah, ah, ah. That hasn't been proven yet. But he confessed. After he was waterboarded. That's inadmissible. Well, in 2002, Al Jazeera reported uh, that they heard from him that he told them that he planned it. 
That's hearsay. Also inadmissible. Oh, well, he wrote a letter calling 9-11 a noble victory and asked the U.S. to hang him. That could be a fetish. What hard, hard evidence do you have that my client had anything to do with 9-11? Well, I'm not. Furthermore, Mr. Colbert, if he was an Al-Qaeda mastermind, he'd have to be pretty intelligent, wouldn't he? Well, of course. Jimmy, put up a picture of little Khalid. Now, pull out. Oh my God, he's retarded! Therefore, he could not have planned 9-11. And I believe the proper term is intellectually disabled. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the state has presented its case in the cynical confidence that you would go along with him on the evil assumption that all Arabs lie, all Arab men are not to be trusted around our women. The defendant is not guilty. Now, I may be a simple country lawyer, but to me, our courts are the great levelers. In our courts, all men are created equal. That is no ideal to me. That is a living, working reality. I am confident that you gentlemen will review without passion the evidence you have heard and restore this man to his family and to the chest hair he loves. In the name of God, do your duty. The defense rests. Not guilty! Of course he's guilty! I made all that stuff up! Now you've set him free! No! What have I done? We can't give him a public trial. Thank you. You are my most compelling witness. And you, sir, are a formidable opponent. This episode is brought to you by Groupon, and I promise that you're going to be thanking me for telling you about it. Groupon uses the economic buying power of large groups of people as leverage to get huge discounts, usually between 50 to 80% off great services, restaurants, activities, and more in 45 major cities across the U.S. You only buy what you want, and you pay nothing for the privilege of being alerted of new great deals every day. Support this podcast by visiting bestoftheleft.com and clicking the Groupon button so they know I sent you. See how it works, reap the benefits, and thank me later. Fox and Friends, as usual, has this guy Eric Bowling on, and he's going to talk about what should happen uh, to the top Taliban uh, leader that was captured in uh, Pakistan. Uh, by the way, an update on that story is they've now captured another one of the top leaders of the Taliban in Pakistan. Uh, apparently, he was also captured about a week ago in a different city, but it might have been related to the capture of basically the number two guy in the Taliban, uh, Baradar. And uh, that's really good news because that means the Pakistanis are beginning to work with us. Our strategy there is working, and they're rounding up a lot of these guys. That's great news. Unless, of course, you're listening to Fox News Channel. So let's go to clip number seven. Funny. Big question is why suddenly oh. did the Pakistan secret police, the ISI, why after all these years have they finally decided, hey, we're going to help the CIA? Because they could have done this all along. But the big question, well, how are they going to interrogate him? Are they going to go ahead and really, you know, put the waterboard to him? And, oh, and no. Use the full, oh, 
Definitely not doing the water. I don't know. Maybe he was captured there, right? I mean, the whole issue is where he's where the the terrorist is captured. This guy should be waterboarded. The idea that he's talking right now—he's been captured for 10 days. He's already, the decision's already been made with regard to how they're going to handle him, I would assume. Don't you have to offer somebody their Miranda rights pretty soon after if you're going to do that? And didn't we, haven't we been discussing, Steve, in the last year that that's in fact what's happening on the ground to terrorists now? There's been a change of game plan? Yeah, well, yeah, when it comes to an enhanced uh, interrogation, but I, I don't think they're going to read these guys. Um, well, where Miranda right. he'll be tried in, in a military tribunal, I'm guessing, right? Well, who knows what's going to happen? Well, if he is, then they don't have to Mirandize him, and they can go ahead and do it, you know, to the full extent of interrogation. They don't even try. He's not in U.S. custody, okay? He's in Pakistani custody. Uh, the Pakistanis have different laws than we do. We have no idea what they're doing to him. They might be torturing him. Who knows? They might even be waterboarding him. But it's we're not the ones that get to make the decision. What are you talking about, Miranda rights? There are no Miranda rights in Pakistan. You don't know, you have no idea what you're talking about. They're just talking to just, just to talk. I don't, we got to find a way to criticize Obama on this. Oh, I thought he raised him as Miranda rights. <laughs> Listen, you idiot. You know what the answer to Steve Deuce's first question is? I wonder why the Pakistanis are well, working with us all of a sudden. You know why? Because we have the right strategy now. Before your moron leader, George W. Bush, had a terrible strategy. His strategy was just back the dictator, trust the Musharraf, trust him that he'll do the right thing, never really check in on him. You had that work out for eight years. Worked out terrible, right? And Obama came in with carrots and sticks, for, uh, with drone attacks, and pressured the Pakistanis, hey, if you don't get these guys, we will. But on the other hand, if you play ball with us, we'll get you money, but in a limited and targeted way, so that it goes to the right people, and all of a sudden, smart strategy worked. And then these clowns, these bozos on Fox News, go about, how did it happen? I don't know. They're probably going to read him as Miranda rights. Really? What do Miranda rights sound like in Urdu? Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. And I'm warm. A nervous Afghan thinks every American with a fake beard works for the CIA. It's the Onion Radio News. This is Doyle Redland reporting. Hard-working Afghan Amen Alabiz spoke out today about his deep fear that every American wearing a fake beard could suddenly arrest him. Though Abiz knows full well that not every poorly disguised American works for the CIA, he says he would rather be wrong than dragged away to a secret prison. I refuse to let my guard down around those damn whisker frauds. This just in, Abiz was arrested a short while ago after being identified as the notorious Kandahar beard yanker. Doyle Redlin for the
We learned in the conservative newspaper, The Washington Times, today that after the underwear bomber was read his Miranda rights, he cooperated with U.S. authorities to such an extent that, quote, U.S. and allied counterterrorism authorities have launched a global manhunt for English-speaking terrorists trained in Yemen who are planning attacks on the United States. This manhunt is underway due to information that the underwear bomber, quote, revealed during recent cooperation with the FBI that he met with other English speakers at a terrorist training camp in Yemen. What did FBI interrogators do to earn the scorn and insult they're receiving now from conservative politicians? The underwear bomber's interrogation has turned out to yield a lot of useful information, but Republicans are still trying desperately to blame the Obama administration for somehow doing this wrong. I do see repeatedly uh, examples that there are key members in the administration, uh, like Eric Holder, for example, the attorney general, who still insists on thinking of terror attacks against the United States as criminal acts as opposed to acts of war. So you mentioned Eric Holder, the treatment of the Christmas Day underwear bomber. How do you think that case should have been dealt with? I think the, uh, the uh, proper way to, to deal with it would have been to uh, treat him as an enemy combatant. I think that was the, the right way to go. Of course, that isn't at all the way that you did go when you were vice president of the United States and making decisions about these things. So was it a mistake uh, when your administration took on the Richard Reed case? This, this is very similar. This was somebody that was trying to blow up an airliner with a shoe bomb. Um, and he was, within five minutes of getting taken off that plane, read his Miranda rights four times, in fact, in the 48 hours, and tried through the civ civilian system. Uh, was that a mistake? Well, first of all, I believe he was not tried. He pled guilty. You still had an option to put him into military custody. Well, we could have put him into military custody. I don't, uh, I don't question that. You could have put him into military custody, but you did not. The Republican effort to attack President Obama on the basis of the underpants bomber, unlike the underpants bomb itself, appears to be blowing up. Say what you will about Dick Cheney, he's generally pretty skilled at making political attacks out of national security issues, but this time, on this one, even he is all tied up in knots. So was it a mistake uh, when your administration took on the Richard Reed case. Well, we could have put him into military custody. I don't, uh, I don't question that. Yeah, but you didn't. You didn't. You could have and you didn't. The attempted Republican talking point on the underpants bomber is that it's an outrage that this would-be bomber was read his Miranda rights and treated as a criminal. And is reading Miranda rights to terrorists any way to fight a war? Some of us have been so upset about it that they uh, immunized him with the Miranda rule. I think you don't give him Miranda rights. Is it any way to fight a war to read Miranda rights? You do not You do not go in and interrupt him with Miranda warnings. We don't have to give Miranda warnings up front. Mirandizing a terrorist like Abdul Mattab is absolutely ridiculous. I don't know what purpose it, there was in Mirandizing him. The administration seems to have lost sight of this essential requirement for national security out of a preoccupation, a preoccupation with reading the Christmas Day bomber, his Miranda rights. He should not have been given his Miranda warnings. This should not have been a Mirandize situation. You don't Mirandize. You know, like the underpants bomber, the shoe bomber, Richard Reed, who also failed when he also tried to detonate PETN, when he was also aboard a U.S.-bound airliner after also being trained and directed by Al-Qaeda, Richard Reed was also arrested in the U.S. as a civilian criminal. And he was also, yes, read his Miranda rights four times. And, and, and what was wrong with that? 
Well, certainly no one complained at the time. Richard Reed was arrested, interrogated, charged as a criminal, and now he's in prison. He was treated exactly the way the underwear bomber was treated. He was Mirandized. Same goes for Zacharias Musawi, the only person convicted of participation in the 9-11 plot. He was arrested, interrogated, charged as a criminal, and now he's in prison. He was treated exactly the way the underwear bomber was treated. He was Mirandized. If anyone sees anything wrong with the treatment of the underwear guy, who didn't see anything wrong with the treatment of the shoe guy, or of Zacharias Musawi, or with the scores of other terrorism suspects we've treated the same way, the only salient difference between the cases is that now Barack Obama is president. So there must be something wrong. Every single person arrested in this country since 9-11 on terrorism charges, or even terrorism-related charges, every single one has been handled as a civilian criminal. Every single one. And of the years that have elapsed since 9-11, let's see, 02, 07, what came next? Uh, oh yeah, 08, and then there was 09. Yeah, after all of the years, uh, of all the years that have elapsed since 2001, after uh, of all of those years in which every single person arrested in this country on terrorism charges was handled as a civilian criminal, in all but one of those years, Dick Cheney was the Vice President of the United States. I think the uh, the uh, proper way to, to deal with it would have been to uh, treat him as an enemy combatant. That would be a lot more convincing if you'd ever done that yourself when you had the chance. Every single person arrested in this country since 9-11 on terrorism charges, I repeat, has been handled as a civilian criminal, which includes being Mirandized, every single one. The only two outliers are Jose Padilla and Ali Almari, both of whom were in military custody for a while, during which they didn't cooperate with their interrogators, by the way. But then even they were ultimately handled in the federal criminal system, treated as civilian criminals. There are no exceptions to this rule. The underwear bomber is being treated exactly the way that terrorism suspects arrested in the U.S. were treated during the Bush administration. Arrested, interrogated, charged as a criminal, and yes, that process includes being Mirandized. The Bush administration did it hundreds of times. And the current administration has continued doing it. Only now, the Bush administration in exile would have you believe that what they did all those years was a huge mistake, the mistakenness of which only became apparent when some other president did it, someone who's a Democrat. This is just like the Deficit Commission, or PAYGO, or cap-and-trade, or televising the health reform hearings, or closing Guantanamo, or any of these other things, where politicians were for it until Barack Obama signed on with it. Then those same politicians are against it all of a sudden. It's called hypocrisy, and it should be reported as such. This has become a joke. are sweaty and I'm barely listening to last demands. I'm staring at the asphalt wondering what's buried To judge Stephen Colbert, that's who. Tip of the hat, wag of the finger. First up, folks, we all know waterboarding works. 
because of this 2007 ABC interview with former CIA operative John Kiriakou. Was it used on Zabeta? It was. He was able to withstand the waterboarding for quite some time, and by that I mean probably 30, 35 seconds. And from that day on, he answered every question just like I'm sitting here speaking to you. Okay, it worked in 30 to 35 seconds, which means you could unravel Al-Qaeda's master plan faster than you can microwave a frozen burrito. <laughs> it was Kiriakou's testimony that everyone in the press cited. They couldn't get him to talk, and that after 30 to 35 seconds of waterboarding, he, um, he began talking. We know from this, that the guy, Kiriakou, that the waterboarding was the right thing to do. It saved lives. It worked. And after 35 seconds of undergoing waterboarding, this guy, this thug, Abu Zubaydah, revealed information which saved lives. Yes, it saved lives. If nothing else, everyone in that room now knew how to treat a drowning victim. <laughs> but now, now, folks, Foreign Policy magazine reports that in Kiriakou's soon-to-be-released memoir, The Reluctant Spy, he admits, quote, I wasn't there when the interrogation took place. Instead, I relied on what I heard and read inside the agency at the time. Now we know that Zubeda was waterboarded 83 times in a single month, raising questions about how much useful information he actually supplied. You know, it was just office water cooler talk. <laughs> After the water cooler had been poured over Zubeda's face. But the real bombshell here is that foreign policy reveals that this information appears on the next to last page of Kiriakou's book. Which is why I am giving a wag of my finger to Foreign Policy magazine. Hello, haven't you guys ever heard of a spoiler alert? <laughs> Everyone knows authors save the juiciest bits for the last two pages of their books. That's why you don't find out until the end of Watership Down that all the characters are rabbits. <laughs> And why you don't find out until the very last page of Dan Brown's The Lost Symbol that you just crapped away $29.95. But more importantly, more importantly, how can Foreign Policy Magazine be certain that Kiriakou was telling the truth about waterboarding not being effective? if he wasn't telling the truth about waterboarding being effective. I say we waterboard this guy. <laughs> I hear that works in like 35 seconds. I am more proud of this show and love working on it more than anything else I've ever done in my life. And the members who sign up and stick with the show are the ones who allow me to follow my passion. Members sign up to donate as little as $5 a month or even $55 a year to support the show. In return, besides my undying gratitude, they also receive bonus material through the members-only raw feed. This includes audio and video content from the show and bonus material that would otherwise end up on the cutting room floor. All of this is delivered in organized feeds so members can access what they want and ignore what they don't. If you're a regular listener of this show and appreciate the service it provides, please consider becoming a member by visiting the membership tab at bestofthelef.com. Thanks a lot. Classified CIA memo that Dick Cheney has insisted would prove he and President Bush were right to torture turns out to instead prove that the arrest of a terrorist suspect Cheney said was given up during torture actually took place before the torture and not after the torture. As the newly released Justice Department whitewash of the Bush torture attorneys notes, Mr. Cheney's argument hangs on, quote, plainly inaccurate information. 
Michael Isikoff of Newsweek reports the previously classified memo, quote, significantly misstated the timing of the capture of one al-Qaeda suspect in order to make a claim that seems to have been patently false. The memo, cited by Mr. Cheney, stated that the waterboarding of al-Qaeda operative Abu Zubaydah led to the arrest of suspected dirty bomb plotter Jose Padilla in May 2003. But as Isikoff also reports, the review points out that the memo was wrong. Padilla was arrested not in May 2003, but May 2002. The administration did not authorize enhanced interrogation techniques until August of 2002. Zubaydah was not interrogated until August of 2002. Therefore, he could not have led them to the capture of a man who had been arrested three months earlier. The report goes further, stating that the head of the Office of Legal Counsel, Stephen Bradbury, relied upon this plainly inaccurate information in two department memos, citing the CIA memo on Zubaydah's interrogation. Meanwhile, Newsweek also reporting that the primary author of the torture memos, John Yu, told Justice Department investigators, quote, the president's war-making authority was so broad that he had the constitutional power to order a village to be massacred. According to the OPR report, Yu was examined on presidential wartime powers, an investigator questioning, what about ordering a village of resistance to be massacred? Is that a power that the president could legally? And you answered, yeah, although let me say this, so certainly that would fall within the commander-in-chief's power over tactical decisions. To order a village of citizens to be exterminated, the investigator asked. You replied, sure. Joining me now is columnist for FindLaw.com, author of Blind Ambition, The End of the Story, and former White House counsel John Dean. Thanks for some of your time tonight, sir. Thank you, Keith. All right, this is an extraordinary development. How could Cheney have thought that memo would prove the case when it would have required the, the information to travel backwards in time? Uh, very difficult. I, under the circumstances, don't want to say when I've heard he's not in good shape right mm -hmm. now that he, he's dead wrong, but that is clearly what happened, and I hope him well so he can come out and explain this. It's not likely. He's not the kind of man who recognizes shame, mistake, humility. Uh, so I'd be very curious to hear what he does have to say because uh, they've caught him just uh, relying on something that is totally bogus. The lie has been put to him. Former Secretary of State Powell uh, dismissed uh, Mr. Cheney's claims that the country was less safe under the current president. He said Cheney's attacks, the quote was, are not borne out by the facts. What happens to the former vice president's credibility on this topic now? I mean, the memo literally proves that he put the cart before the horse. I mean, it's as easy a, a either mistake or lie to fix and adjust accordingly as you could imagine. But that cart had no wheels on it, even when he got it in front. Uh, so uh, I think his, his credibility is in deep trouble with Powell undercutting it, with General Petraeus doing the same thing as for these tactics. Uh, and I'm not sure how broad his, his credibility really has been. Uh, he lost it in the last administration in the, in the second term. He wasn't selling these kinds of ideas then. Uh, and beyond the, uh, uh, the reach of his family, I'm not sure how many followers he really has at this point, Keith. I'll get back to uh, Mr. Cheney's health in a moment, but let me broaden this out. To, to Senator Leahy said that he's going to have a, a hearing this week on this OPR report, which basically uh, let the lawyers who were involved in this, uh, you and Bybee and, and uh, Bradbury, off with, a, with not even a slap on the wrist, sort of like a, a, uh, a pretend slap on the wrist. If the Justice Department's not going to do anything to these guys, um, will legally, uh, legally can uh, the, the, the Congress do anything? And, and do you suspect politically it will? 
Uh, they really have no sanction they can impose. What they can do is what they can do often very effectively is put that pitiless spotlight of publicity on these issues and that in turn can provoke actions. Uh, you know, the fact that they have ruled that this isn't something they're going to refer to a state bar for disciplinary proceedings actually doesn't mean that these guys still couldn't be prosecuted. And if more evidence is brought out by, the, uh, by these hearings by Leahy or others on the Congress, uh, they're not home free by a long shot. So it, that could change the attitude of a lot of the people about uh, if they were educated, understood the implications, what this has done to the country, uh, how negative it affected us. Uh, these guys are just not, uh, as I say, uh, they're not at home base yet by any stretch of the imagination. And going even further, the, the finding about uh, what John, you said about ordering the massacre of a village. Uh, I guess this goes to the War Powers Act. It goes to uh, declarations of war, what the Senate's role was supposed to be in that, how we have not really observed that for nearly half a century now. How does that fit into that whole, uh, whole uh, horizon of who is in charge and what a president can order happening uh, in what might be a declared or undeclared war? Well, he seems to find no real boundaries uh, on, on the president's war powers under the office of commander-in-chief, a very vague term that uh, has been increasingly filled in. But this, this statement is very consistent with his pattern. In 2005, for example, I remember uh, when he had that debate in Chicago with a Notre Dame law professor, uh, and he literally refused to reject the fact that you could, you could actually have a child, a male child, have his testicles crushed. Uh, as a tactic to force somebody uh, to speak. It was outrageous. Then he went before the House Judiciary Committee in 2008, and when uh, Chairman Conyers started pressing him, well, could the president have power to bury somebody alive to force them? Well, again, he refused to reject that. So this is, the, you know, his bad judgment that was called out uh, in, in the, old, uh, the Office of Professional Responsibility Report has been rather consistent in that he will push things to their outer limit consistently. says that, uh, of course, uh, we should have had the option of being able to waterboard the Christmas Day bomber, uh, despite all good evidence that uh, what we did, in fact, worked uh, solidly, significantly, etc. But he's not shaken from his convictions. Let's go to clip number three. If you have somebody in custody like Abdul Muttalib, after just trying to blow up an airliner, and you think he has information on another attack, I mean, do you think that those enhanced interrogation techniques should have been, uh, should have been used? I mean, would you, do you think that uh, he should have been, for instance, subject to everything, including waterboarding? Well, I think the, uh, the professionals need to make that judgment. Um, we've got people in, uh, we had in our administration, I'm sure there's still there, many of them were career personnel, who uh, are experts in this subject and they are the ones that you ought to turn 
uh, somebody like uh, Abdul Muttalib over to. Uh, let them be the judge of whether or not he's prepared to cooperate and how they can best uh, achieve his cooperation. But you believe they should have had the option of everything up to and including waterboarding? I think you ought to have all of those capabilities on the table. Now, uh, President Obama has taken them off the table. You know, he announced when he came in last year that they would never use anything other than the U.S. Army manual, which doesn't include those techniques. I think that's a mistake. All right, so let's understand the things that Dick Cheney is saying. One, uh, the U.S. Army manual uh, using that as a mistake. Uh, that seems to be denigrating the U.S. Army manual, doesn't it? Uh, he says that's not sufficient. We need to go beyond what the United States normally does, which is, of course, what Bush and Cheney advocated for eight straight years. Second of all, there was a central lie in what he just said there. He said we should let the professionals decide whether we should waterboard these people and torture them and well, he didn't use the word torture, but waterboarding is torture, uh, according to all international and U.S. law. Um, and, and the rest of the enhanced interrogation techniques. Now, is it really true that the professionals decided that during the Bush uh, administration, that's the way it should go? No. In fact, all of the career uh, JAGs uh, in the different departments of the armed forces, those are the top lawyers in those departments, ones that say, hey, how should we execute our laws? Uh, how should we treat our detainees, our prisoners? How have we done this in the past? The professionals who get to decide this went to the White House and said, for the love of God, don't do these enhanced interrogations. They don't work, and they are counter to our laws and our principles. So when he says, oh, the, uh, let the professionals decide, nonsense. They overruled all the professionals. How about the FBI? During the Bush-Cheney administration, the FBI said, please don't do it. If you do it, we know it doesn't work. We can't use it in court of law later to bring them to justice, and we don't want any part of it. Robert Mueller, picked by Bush, withdrew the FBI from the interrogations, saying this is, uh, if you're going to do this, we don't, want, we don't want to be involved in it. Okay? The only guys that they can get to do it were a couple of guys, and I read the whole story on this, okay, uh, that used to train some of our soldiers in what would happen to you if you got tortured by the bad guys, okay? And they brought in these guys, and Cheney and Rumsfeld made the decision to put them in charge. They'd never done any interrogations. They had no experience in how to get useful intelligence out of someone that was captured. All they knew was to train you how to guard our troops against torture. They flipped that on its head and used the torture against our detainees without being able to get any useful information out of them, without having any experience in getting useful information about them. They were not the professionals. Cheney purposely picked people who were not in decisions making uh, opportunity before and positions before and that did not know how to get intelligence from detainees. So it's totally a lie when he says, oh, you just let the professionals decide. None of the professionals were in favor of that. Only Cheney and Rumsfeld were and, of course, Bush, eventually. So, uh, now, when it comes to the Christmas Day bomber, did they get useful information using the normal interrogation tactics we've used for all of our history in the United States, except for the Bush-Cheney years? Yes, absolutely. Now, let's go to Meet the Press, where Representative Schock, Republican, is going to claim that this was a, a terrible idea to do this, uh, along the lines of Dick Cheney. And then eventually Rachel Maddow and Harold Ford are going to come in, and Rachel's going to straighten them out again with facts. Let's go to clip number seven. The top terrorism advisor to the president said this on, on this program this uh, last week. 
I'm tiring of politicians using national security issues such as uh, terrorism as a political football. Are Republicans and Republican attacks against this administration helping al-Qaeda? Absolutely not, and I think it's an insult uh, to most Americans to suggest that their elected representatives who are carrying their views and the message of, of the majority of Americans to Washington uh, and to this debate are somehow helping al-Qaeda. Mind you, these are the, many of these Democrats, including Mr. Brennan, uh, who served in the last administration, uh, face many of these same attacks under then-President Bush from, from the left. So the idea that we can't challenge the administration and their view uh, on the fight on terrorism uh, is... What happened voters. to Democrats when they challenged President Bush in well, the same some way? Of the same, some of the same claims right. were made against them. But at the end of the day, we're representing mainstream America and the majority of views. Uh, and, and whether it's closing Guantanamo Bay and moving it to the heartland of America, whether it's the, the uh, uh, trying these folks in downtown New York, whether it's Mirandizing uh, terrorists who come to this country to attack us, the majority of Americans have not bought, do not believe, uh, that Obama and his administration is right on these policies. So you don't support the way the president is prosecuting the war on terror? No. Well, well, can I just, I'm sorry though, what's the basis of the assertion that reading somebody their Miranda rights is unsafe? We well, did that Rachel, with every, wait, yourself. hold on, we did that with every single person who has been arrested on terrorism charges since 9-11. Nobody's ever made an issue of it until the Obama administration and this case with Abdul Muttalib. Literally, what's, what's the problem with being read your rights that wasn't the problem before? Well, first of all, you suggested earlier that uh, reading someone's Miranda rights does not, uh, has never indicated that they talk less uh, to our intelligence. We've never folks. heard that from the FBI. The fact of the matter is we do know that after uh, the Christmas Day bomber was read his Miranda rights that he did, in fact, stop cooperating with our intelligence. That's not true, actually. I mean, it's not what we know from the people who've been involved in it. But there is, just, but, the, but, the, the but, factual but, basis of these assertions is so thin. But the, Rachel's the, right about that. In fact, I think when he was read the rights, the report suggested that he shared more information after. And that could be wrong, but the question... Okay, let me tell you what the actual facts are, okay, because I'm not wrong. <laughs> I know exactly what happened. Uh, the, our intelligence community has shared that information, okay. Um, number one, we uh, first interrogated him, uh, the Christmas Day bo bomber, until he stopped talking. And once he stopped talking, we read him his Miranda rights. Now, we cannot use that information in court, but the professionals made the decision that it was more important to gather that intelligence than to be able to convict him later. Now, I'm not going to second-guess him on that. I think maybe reading him his Miranda rights from the beginning might not be so bad, but I'm not even entirely sure about that. I actually believe real professionals should make that decision. So, and they did there. So we got a whole bunch of information. He talked for nine hours, okay? And then once he stopped talking, they're like, well, there's no harm in now giving him his Miranda rights. They gave him his Miranda rights. And then... Since we didn't torture him, his family came in and said, all right, we want to work with you guys because they don't want him getting the death penalty. And they're the ones who said in the first place, watch out for him. I think he's, you know, been misdirected, misled, etc., by these Al-Qaeda guys. And his family convinced him to talk even more. So after he was read his Miranda rights, he gave up even more information. And if we had tortured him, one, we couldn't use that in court. We couldn't bring him to justice. We would not have gotten the same level of cooperation or intelligence from his family or from him. So on the facts, Representative Schacht is 100% wrong. Rachel is totally right. I mean, it's so rare that you see someone who's actually saying something true on these Sunday talk shows that when Rachel said it, I was like, oh, thank God, finally somebody stepped in and stopped this nonsense. I'm used to decades of Republicans just putting out lie after lie after lie, and nobody ever challenges them on it.
Toyotas aren't the only thing crashing and burning right now. So is the Obama presidency. The latest scandal, oh, wake up. The latest scandal is that Obama's FBI interrogated the underwear bomber Umar Farouk Abdul-Mutalab for only 50, five, zero minutes before reading him his Miranda rights. Even worse, they didn't phrase any of their questions in the form of a taser. <laughs> I say there's a better way to handle terrorists, and it brings us to tonight's word. <laughs> Foe and tell. Folks, our founding fathers built this nation on one fundamental principle, that all men are created equal. Of course, offer applies only to American citizens. And Abdul Mutalab is a Nigerian. We all know what that means. There should have been no consideration to give this person the rights that American citizens have. Miranda rights, the rights to a civil trial. He is an enemy combatant. The first big threshold for President Obama to cross is to recognize we are at war. And if you're at war, none of the criminal defense rules apply. Yes, when will Obama get it? We are at war with Nigeria. <laughs> or Yemen. Or underwear. <laughs> Whatever. The point is, the point is, folks, giving the underwear bomber Miranda rights is wrong. And worse than that is a complete waste. Because it is pretty hard to remain silent when you've set your crotch hair on fire. <laughs> now, Senate Minority Leader and Human Tortoise Hybrid, Mitch McConnell, agrees. He was given a 50-minute interrogation. Probably Larry King has interrogated uh, people longer and better than that. I mean, Larry King would have a more thorough interrogation. Larry King would spend more time with a, with a guest than that. <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> Senator McConnell, I think I speak for a lot of Americans when I say, quit your day job. <laughs> but, folks, behind all the laughter, the senator is making a very serious point about the FBI. They are terrible at finding out the truth. Even their most famous agents, Mulder and Scully, never found the truth out there. Or, or in each other's full ripe lips. Now, to give, you, to give you some idea of their incompetence, folks, the Bureau's 50-minute interview of Abdul Mutalab ended when the suspect was given medication and the investigators decided it would be better to let the effects of the drugs wear off before pressing him further. You do not end an interview when the suspect is under the effect of drugs. That's when you get the best information. Is this real life? Yeah, this is real life. Good. Four fingers. We could have found out how many fingers he had. Instead, we learned nothing. According to law enforcement officials, he started talking last week and is providing useful, current, and actionable intelligence, including information about his training overseas, who he met with, people he worked with, and others that were part of this plot. So what? What about his turn-ons, his turn-offs, boxers or briefs, invisibility or flight, Ginger or Marianne? And I'm not the only one burning with questions. And I think that's what's so disturbing here. We won't ever know about what could have been elicited from this individual. We just don't know how many timely leads 
have been lost. We will never know how much information we lost that we could have acted on during that time. Exactly. If this guy is so weak that he gave us intelligence when we didn't torture him, imagine what he would have told us if we didn't torture him. <laughs> now, some people will say that enhanced interrogation won't actually tell you what to prepare for. Torture produces false information. People give up false information. Mm. They do anything to make, the, to make the torture stop. So they make stuff up. Sometimes it's the made-up stuff that actually happens. Look at Jules Verne. He wrote 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea in 1869, and now we have fleets of submarines with oak-paneled staterooms and pipe organs. Also, look at Philip K. Dick. He dreamed of a world with human-like replicants, and now we have one as Speaker of the House. Now, people say all the time, no one could have predicted 9-11. But in his book, Debt of Honor, Tom Clancy predicts a 747 crashing into the Capitol building. So, folks, I say it is not enough to get full confessions from our enemies. Who knows what they could predict under duress? Maybe bin Laden's location two years from now. Or al-Zawahiri's plans for a new biological weapon. Or... What year chickens will bowl with cavemen to sell Bridgestone tires? And if we, folks, if we push them hard enough, maybe they'll give us the information these senators really want, that indefinite detention and enhanced interrogation will keep us safer than the rule of law. Thanks for listening, everyone. So I, I have a just a real quick uh, story that I think will be fun. I just want to thank a couple of members first. Uh, Dennis P. signed up for membership to support the show way back in August, uh, August 21st, 2009. And then more recently, Pavel S. signed up on January 17th. So huge thanks to both of those members for signing up. Uh, thanks to Dennis for uh, sticking with the show for so long. Of course, members make the show possible, so it's a, it's a huge help for uh, for every member that signs up and, and sticks with the show. So I, I had this just tiny little story to tell, and um, it was actually, like, I was reminded of it from a quote that, that was in this show that you just listened to. And to be honest, I didn't hear this the first time through. I was listening to Rachel Maddow, you know, as I wouldn't normally do. And, and I missed this until I was editing the show together. And, and I laughed out loud when she said that the Republicans, uh, you know, attempts to kind of uh, make political hay out of terrorism and, uh, you know, something generally along those lines. She said um, it wasn't working out and that it was blowing up in their faces or their underpants. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, so I, I heard that. The second time through, I was listening and thought it was hilarious, obviously, because it kind of is. And it, it reminded me, so I, you know, I've never, I've never met Rachel Maddow, but I've been listening to her for the last five years or so, you know, maybe six, but, but definitely, uh, definitely five or six years. And she's always kind of been like that. She's always had that kind of 
fun personality injected into her show, even when she was just just on the radio before she was on TV. And so you really got this sense that she was like genuinely fun and genuinely uh, liked doing her job and liked doing the show. And um, and so you know that that's a great that's a great thing to hear from a host is is that you know if they're having fun, then you can kind of have fun along with them. And so I've you know I've never met her to to see if this personality translates to real life. But I have met uh, Jenk Uger from the Young Turks a couple of times, and and the most recent time I, I saw him was uh, the Young Turks actually came to Washington D.C. where I live to um, to attend the uh, the the conference that used to be called the Take Back America conference before we took it back. So um, so the Young Turks held kind of like a you know a little meetup in D.C. for for fans, and uh, and so I went and met up with them because I'm a fan and and so part of the conversation was that he uh, was talking about Rachel Maddow you know the Young Turks would love to be on MSNBC they've made no secret of that on their show and and for a while they were that there was like a campaign going on to get them on MSNBC and he talked a little bit about Rachel Maddow and how you know he thinks it's great that she's on TV and, but there's a little bit of jealousy like oh wouldn't it be nice if that was me there instead but and here's here's what I'm really here to, to say is that, you know, the main point he made was, you know, he has met Rachel Maddow and he says, you know what, like that that personality, it, it's real. You know, when you meet her in real life, she's just great. And, you know, I mean, he he said this in a I mean, it wasn't really like an off the record conversation or anything. And it obviously didn't have anything bad to say. So I, I feel OK about repeating it. Um, but that was great to hear from someone who had who had met her, and it's just uh, you know I don't know what the moral of this story is or anything like that, but but it was it was great to, to get a little bit of confirmation that you know like she really is super nice and and you know was just like really really nice and really polite and you know all, all those things to him when when he met her and so you know it, it's it's good when good people succeed and you can it, it's great when there's people you can really root for and. You know, I've loved her show for years and years, and it, you know, the fact that she succeeded and is on MSNBC now is, is like, you know, confirmation for me. You know, I feel like I picked a winner. <laughs> like I knew way back then, like, you know, this this person's really talented and and someone I should I should stick with, and uh, and and follow along. And uh, so it's great when other people agree. So that that's all I got for you today. Just my just my quick thoughts on Rachel Maddow that I've had for years and years and just uh, never. Never mentioned on the show. I guess there was uh, never a reason for it to come up. So, uh, so that's it for today. Um, you know, please obviously consider uh, continuing to support the show. Obviously, you hear all the time about the membership program. That's uh, that is the lifeblood of the show. So, you know, if you if you can uh, if you can swing a membership, that would be awesome. If not, no big deal at all. Uh, you can hugely support the show just by telling your friends about it, helping to spread the word, increase the audience, and so forth. Besides that, there's all kinds of ways that you can support the show. Uh, you know, whether by you know, a little bit of donations or, or totally non-monetary things at all. All those things are listed on the support box on the right side of the website, bestoftheleft.com. You can stay connected between the shows. Uh, we're on both Twitter and Facebook at uh, Best of the Left, twitter.com slash bestoftheleft, facebook.com slash bestoftheleft. And finally, to get more details, including links to the music and sources used in this episode and every episode, are always on the show notes on the blog. So coming to you for uh, possibly the very last time, I, I mentioned I was moving, right? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sitting here uh, amongst the, 
kind of the ruins of uh, of my entire life that fits in my little apartment as almost everything besides the computer has been packed up. So coming to you for possibly the very last time ever from inside the Beltway and border yet outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., this has been the Best of the Left podcast delivered to you every Wednesday and every weekend. Thanks to the members and donors from bestoftheleft.com. Fine, fine, sound black and white. You took apart a picture that wasn't right. Pitch burning on a shining sheet. The only maker that you want to meet. A dying man in a living room. Whose shadow bases the floor. will take you out in the open door. This is not my life. Just a fond farewell to a friend.